0: Hi everyone, welcome back for another episode of EGEOs. My name is Rochelle Kernan and I am honored to bring to you a speaker. Her name is Maria Angelic Pello. She is a renowned leader and author in the energy sector, an expert in sustainability, corporate resilience, diversity and inclusion, and also resource management. Hello, Maria, how are you doing today?
1: Very well. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you for the invitation for this.
0: Absolutely. It's so nice to see you on a Saturday morning, and I really appreciate the time that you're spending with me today. Hmm.
1: Thanks. I When I saw what EGEOs was uh, about, Energy Geos, I thought I, I was intrigued hmm. by the initiative, and I really like it. And uh, I particularly like to belong to the beginning, of Energy Geos. So
0: thank you for this. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for your support and encouragement. I know it means a lot to us here. So to get started today, I have some questions for you. Um, I'm absolutely fascinated by your story and your background, and I think our audience will really appreciate hearing more about you personally, to start with. So could you please tell us a bit about where you uh, were born? Maybe perhaps where you lived during your life or where you grew up? And then maybe something that influenced you uh, while you were growing up, something that you thought, oh, this is amazing, and led you on your uh, geoscience career or pathway. All right. Well, Rachel, I was born...
1: In a, in a small town in Venezuela, yeah, this is at, at the north of South America, mm-hmm. and that town is called Altagracia de Orituco, and that name is so long and, and the town is so remote mm-hmm. that in Venezuela people use it for jokes to refer to people that they are... You know, this person is, oh, this person is from (laughs) Altagracia de Oripico, that meaning, you know, like uh, they are from a very, from a corner, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. But in fact, it's not from a corner. It is located in the central uh, of Venezuela and is the town that opens up to the flatlands of Venezuela. Okay. And uh, that is related uh, perhaps to the curiosity that I have experienced about rocks from mm-hmm. my childhood. Because even if early on uh, we moved to Caracas as mm-hmm. a family, which is the capital, yep. um, being an Italian family, we are very, very much uh, rooted into the family traditions. Mm-hmm. So my, my parents will uh, spend the vacations at Altagracia because my grandparents of my mom were there. Mm -hmm. So I would spend all my Christmases, vacations, and summers there. And in that town, there was a square that uh, we would go walking and passing by, with a huge, huge fossil uh, of, of, you know, like a a huge ammonite of some sort, Mm -hmm. that was uh, the center, as if it was a statue of this square, Mm -hmm. And uh, I was always wondering, what is that? And not only uh, this fact, but also traveling from Caracas to this uh, wonderful uh, small town. We had to go through the uh, central uh, mountains in Venezuela, which is a mountain range of, uh, at the beginning, metamorphic rocks and then very folded sedimentary rocks. That uh, characterize all, you know, this uh, wiggly road through the mountains that will show these folded, you know, strata. That I also was looking. What is this, right? <laughs> yeah. And um, when I was studying, I think this is an element that perhaps you will uh, think is awkward. But I now, uh, looking in retrospective, I consider it is important to my take on STEM careers. Mm-hmm. And that is that I studied in an all girls school. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you will say, oh, what old fashioned. Well, if you add to that, that, that was a, even a Catholic nuns uh, mm-hmm. school. I mean, that is even a large uh, uh, amount of elements that will perhaps. From a foreign look, uh, be detrimental of diversity or science. But instead, for me, it empowered me. You know Mm -hmm. why, Rachel? Because um, I only discover. I mean, I I was uh, I love physics, mathematics, and chemistry, and and uh, I was, uh, you know, obtaining very high grades and. Mm-hmm. Many times I was the best in class, in
0: that,
1: in those so. <laughs> <in the> subjects, <laughs> but, well, yes, leaving uh, modesty on the side, but to make a point, the only, and the first time I discovered that there was a saying that women were not good at math mm-hmm. was at the university.
0: Oh my gosh, it's when, heartbreaking. <laughs> yes,
1: it was a discovery. I mm-hmm. didn't know uh, that was the, a thing, because when I enrolled in the university, I enjoy so much biology physics chemistry and math that I didn't know what to study because I I did not know I loved them all. Mm-hmm. So I applied uh, to uh, several universities and I was accepted in them and I applied to biology and physics mm-hmm. and they accepted me in physics. Oh wow. And uh, I said, "Wow, fantastic." So, I enrolled in physics. Mm-hmm and uh, when when you study physics, there are a lot of subjects in math and and uh, physics. and the thing is that uh, at the very first uh, s- semester, my peers uh, were telling me, "Oh, how strange a woman studying physics. I was the only one, yes. But then even weird, uh, weird weirder, they would tell me, oh, I didn't know women could be good at math. Oh and I was God. like, what? <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. So in in a nutshell, uh, what influenced me growing up uh, was uh, first to have no fear of being the best mm-hmm. and being the best at something mm-hmm. that I was the only one. Mm-hmm. The second element that appealed me into geosciences was that studying physics Uh, I was already at the fourth uh, year in Venezuela, uh, career, so bachelor are five years long, because you you have to do a thesis. It's like a master, if you think about it. The thing is that in the fourth year, starting the the fourth year, I had to choose a minor. Mm -hmm. And I was not feeling that physics was my right fit, because it was very theoretical, Mm -hmm. and I was like... uh, pampered by the professors who had lab uh, subjects.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: In particular, it was a woman professor that she was a specialist uh, in plasma physics.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and she would like adopt me. And uh, I studied more than four labs, uh, advanced labs, uh, with her about plasma and uh, electrons, uh, physics, and things uh, very advanced. But then I, I chose, uh, I didn't know what minor to take if plasma, theoretical, or geophysics, which was the third. And because I didn't have a clue what geophysics was, I took two subjects mm-hmm. basic geology and basic geophysics. Mm-hmm. And that changed my life when I first went to the field. And I understood all these folded strata that I saw in my childhood and the fossils and all that. That was mesmerized. Mm-hmm. I just loved it, mm-hmm. and I could never go on a car again without looking at the at the rocks and trying to figure it out. You know about the this geologic history and the phenomena that affected those uh, rocks. Absolutely. That is that is what uh, you know appeal was appealing for me mm-hmm. to to get into the career.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I'm I'm so happy that you didn't let what those people would say about you being a girl in physics or a woman in physics. I'm so glad you didn't listen to them. <laughs>
1: yes. well, yeah, yeah. Well, I also was in a kind of a not protected environment, but a unique environment that mm-hmm. enabled me to face another facet, Rachel, that mm-hmm. is also critical, which is uh Perhaps women jealousy among each other, which mm-hmm. is another different topic that perhaps we can discuss another day.
0: yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's a whole nother day. <laughs> so you alluded to it a little bit about where did where you went to school, but could you tell us a bit more um about your degrees and maybe yes. a story about, Your career path. So once you were done with college and you began working, or some at some point during your career.
1: Okay. Um, Well, first I graduated as a physicist Mm -hmm. with a minor in geophysics. Okay. And I was the first physics uh, student that uh, uh, did an internship in the in the industry in the oil and gas industry in Venezuela because physics. students did not do any kind of industrial training. Sure. So I submitted uh, even the the reform uh, petition to the department so that those credits would be taken into consideration towards my degree. Mm-hmm. So I, as you can see, as I walk, I change uh, the scenarios where I walk. So it's kind of uh, building the path. As I go along,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and that has has been with me all my life. And um, it's difficult, and and is some at times tiring, but that is how it goes. So I studied at the Universidad mm-hmm. Simón Bolívar, mm-hmm. which is a scientific and technological university in Venezuela of high rec- recognition. Mm-hmm. And after that, I joined the the oil industry. Okay. And I was offered three jobs uh, at the three main uh, operators in Venezuela. And imagine, Rachel, that I was given uh, an offer by Corpoven to to work at uh, Puerto La Cruz, which is a coastal city that is a resort kind of city, at the front of the Caribbean Sea to to take care of geosciences uh, subjects. But that was far away from, mm-hmm. my, from Caracas. And instead, Lagoven, which was former Exxon at the time, offered me a job at Caracas. Okay. And uh, as I was interested in pursuing a master's degree in geosciences, and that was you know, almost in front of the other main university in Venezuela, I selected that uh, offering. Mm-hmm. And I started working with them in the exploration department. Mm-hmm. And guess what? After six months, they transferred me to a, to a horrible city. Oh, no. <laughs> yes, in the middle of the flatlands. Uh, but a very interesting story, because uh, that um, just uh, immersed me what were in what was uh, geophysical operations at okay. the time. Mm-hmm. It was a very active time. And it was the time when El Furrial giant field of Venezuela was discovered Mm. in the basin. And we were acquiring three different uh, seismic surveys of massive uh, acreage uh, at the time. Two 3D and one 2D. And one was in the jungle. Two were in the flatlands. So Mm -hmm. I still remember the first day of job. uh, give me the keys of my Toyota Land Cruiser and I didn't know how to drive with a stick. <laughs> and they told me, you will figure it out. <laughs> and I just drove in first gear all the way to the hotel. <laughs> and it was a horrible thing. But anyways, I, I am not particularly keen into uh, going for field operations, but I did have to uh, work and, and understand how to drive and find uh, the, the doghouse, uh, the recording truck mm-hmm. that was moved mm-hmm. every day mm-hmm. into places that, for me, I have no sense of orientation. So it was very difficult for me, those th- that period. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, at the end, I learned how to winch out myself and my jeep along from mud, or at, uh, in the jungle from you know uh, also the 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 like more traps etc because heavy equipment was passing from these uh, trenches and uh, it was very rainy and uh, my light jeep was always uh, in you know, all kinds of troubles because they were moving around in tractors and instead I was moving in my jeep. So it was it was a, a learning period of many things. Mm-hmm. And after that, I I was transferred to again to Caracas. I got married, mm-hmm. and when I got pregnant with our first daughter, we have two daughters. Mm-hmm. Uh, That started, what I would say, has been a dual career of many facets. My husband is a geophysicist. He's a PhD in in electromagnetics from the Colorado School of Mines.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And because of that, perhaps, we both uh, understand very well the challenges and uh, opportunities of careers Mm -hmm. uh, in geophysics. And... um, Why I'm telling you that? Because when I was uh, pregnant and I realized I was pregnant, uh, I wanted to wait two, three months to disclose it at work. But the same day I knew I was pregnant, or the day after that, I was uh, given the information that I was selected to attend the carbonate course that was the dream of everybody. Because in this course, it was a two weeks long course where mm-hmm. they would fly you to the Bahamas, to the mm-hmm. Los Roques Island in Venezuela, and you would get to see the carbonates uh, environment in the most crystalline and, and white sands water on earth. Mm-hmm. I would say. <laughs> but I was pregnant. What to do? Because you would have to, to go in small planes yeah. and also by boat. So I I asked my OB doctor, and he said, we don't know how your pregnancy will be. I strongly discourage you to engage in these kind of activities, physical activities. Uh, So we discussed among us, and my husband and I decided that, unfortunately, I would have to decline. So I had to disclose I was pregnant almost immediately, and I couldn't attend. And they told me, oh, there will be other opportunities. Of course, Rachel, you can imagine there was never another opportunity. Yeah. Because after that, uh, we bought a house uh, one hour from Caracas near the research center where my husband was working. Sure. And for the same reason, the commuting time in a mountain road was kind of dangerous also. Mm -hmm. Uh, I asked to be transferred. And... uh, uh, after a very funny period in which I asked to talk directly with the director mm-hmm. and the managers and my supervisors were puzzled what they did wrong with me, I the director talked to me, I explained the reasons, and he granted me the transfer. So okay. I ended up in a research center where okay. I never wanted to be, to mm-hmm. tell you the truth. Rachel, mm-hmm. and, uh, because I was kind of uh, shy that I didn't have all uh, masters or PhD or any preparation to work in research, mm-hmm. but it so happened that I excelled at that, mm-hmm. and after after three years that I was ranked number one, they offered me to sponsor a, a master's degree, and I got to choose where. So I chose the Colorado School of Mines. I applied, I was accepted, okay. and off I went. And the dual career means that I went alone the first six months with our two daughters sure. only. They were at the time one year old and three years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, after six months, my husband took a leave of absence of a year, mm-hmm. and he accompanied us, and I completed my master in one year and a half.
0: Wow. So three nice.
1: semesters. And off we returned to, to Caracas.
0: Yeah.
1: After that, uh, I then uh, started working in, in reservoir geophysics
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I led the first 4D seismic project in Venezuela.
2: Mm-hmm. One
1: thing leads to the other. I, I then, when you start to lead teams, then you expand also your technical abilities to other fields of application. Mm -hmm. And I was promoted uh, project manager, Mm -hmm. and I became a project manager of uh, some special projects that are field laboratories to test technologies. And because those are for the operators, they started to know me. Mm -hmm. They required me, uh, and I was transferred uh, this time to Caracas again, and at the time we both moved to Caracas, the family moved to Caracas because Mm -hmm. of the school of the girls. Mm I was better in Caracas. Yeah. And um, I started uh, leading multidisciplinary teams mm-hmm. and became reservoir manager for a joint venture, then general manager of a joint venture. Then a political turmoil uh, happened in Venezuela. 22,000 engineers were expelled from PDVSA. Mm-hmm. Among them, both of us. And overnight, we found ourselves, Herminio er- and I, Without savings, retirement plans, or or any everything was inside the company that was never uh, gave back uh, to us. It was an overnight decision.
2: Yeah,
1: and um, we started other paths. Uh, my husband started uh, with um, mineral again, uh, geophysical prospecting.
2: Yeah,
1: and I I was uh, called uh, to lead the Alumni Association Mm -hmm. of the Universidad Central as executive director. Mm -hmm. And and after that, I uh, was called by Halliburton um, to be a subsurface practice manager for Latin America. Then uh, I was elected vice president of SCG And when I attended the annual meeting in Houston, my husband accompanied me. Mm-hmm. He was offered a job at Kuwaito company. You see the dual career, Rachel? Yeah. <laughs>
0: I'm a... he,
1: yeah. So he thought carefully what to do, what not to do. And uh, he uh, decided, we decided, that he would go for a year or two while I would keep working at Halliburton in Venezuela. Off he went. And then... Uh, Something happened, and uh, I was express kidnapped. This is something uh, worth another podcast. And I decided what I'm doing in Venezuela along with the two girls, a family should be together. Mm -hmm. So I uh, started looking for a job in the Middle East, and uh, Halliburton opened a job uh, as an operations manager based in Kuwait. Okay. I applied for that, was interviewed, and Strangely enough, they flew me there in March uh, to get to know me in person. Then I realized why. I was the first woman, uh. Uh, operations manager for them in yeah. the Middle East, yeah. and I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. So they offered me a job, so I asked to be transferred in July to wait for my daughters to what? To finish the school year, right? Mm-hmm. So this was a family uh, wonderful decision because it was thanks to my daughters that they were willing to take the chance, the challenge Mm -hmm. to completely change the educational system Mm -hmm. because they they were to study in English, something they never did. Okay. Sure. So, so off we went, and uh, I worked for Halliburton there two years, and then I knocked at the door of or company because I had inside information. The salaries and conditions were better. <laughs> and they interviewed me, and they accepted me, and uh, it is a wonderful story. I worked there for 15 years in oh. Kuwait. Yeah. Yeah, 12 uh, 12 with Kelsey and two and a half with Hollywood. No?
0: Yeah. Oh, that's How old were your daughters when you uh, moved over there? 12 okay. and uh, 15. Oh, wow. That was a big deal for them, I'm sure. It was a big deal. Yeah. It was a big deal. And also, again, look, looking back,
1: it was a lot of courageous decision. It was a truly courageous decision. Yeah. Because even if we kept their English, because they learn English in the United States, when I was doing my master, our small daughter Claudia, she learned to speak in English. Mm-hmm. Because she went with me, she was only two years of age, mm-hmm. two years old. And Alessandra learned it there. Mm-hmm. Actually, Rachel, if you, I, I want to share with you a personal anecdote. Mm-hmm when we came back to Venezuela, and I uh, I should have stayed perhaps another semester, but I was uh, so willing to come back. Uh, Alessandra, our elder daughter, she was crying Mm
2: -hmm. the last
1: weeks. She didn't want to go away from Colorado. And uh, then we discovered she was nervous because she said she she could not speak in Spanish. Oh. Yes. So she was nervous. Mm-hmm. And and when we enrolled them in the school, uh, they will help each other. We, I mean, Alessandra would like be the mentor of this of, of Claudia.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, it was a lot of f- funny anecdotes, but the most pretty one is the day after a week of, of school. When I went to pick them up, I can still see Alessandra running to me with her lunchbox, telling me, "Mom, Mom, you know what?" I said, "What?" This Spanish was in my brain all the time. <laughs>
0: that is so cute.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. So this was uh, the story how my career path evolved. Mm-hmm. In the last, in the last four years, uh, even while in Kuwait, I was called by the UN mm-hmm. immigration office in a very strange call that of course, froze me on the spot. Mm -hmm. And they were laughing, and they told me, aha, you are nervous, ah, no, this is nothing (laughs) wrong. They told me, Mm -hmm. we are calling you because we have seen your imprint in social media for Kuwait. Mm -hmm. And we would like you to uh, help us portray our role better Mm -hmm. for the women Mm -hmm. uh, that are in danger situation because of... uh, visas and other things. We have three shelters for them and okay. uh, we need we need your help. Yeah. So that was uh kind of a hidden volunteering I did mm-hmm. in Kuwait. But when I entered the UN building, wow Rachel, I saw these posters uh, hanging from the floor, uh-huh. from the ceiling, sorry, in a in a in the entry floor that had a big atrium
2: mm-hmm.
1: of like you know two, three stories tall. And this poster were, you know, the icons of the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and this was like five years ago. So sure. when I saw that, I said, what is this? And this is how I became engaged and started to educate myself in that. Mm-hmm. And slowly but steadily, I became an expert by also by doing it. Sure. And just, just uh, last week, not yesterday, last week, the other Saturday, I finished my certification from Cambridge.
0: Oh, cool. Congratulations. Mm-hmm.
1: Thank you. Online in uh, circular economy and sustainability management. Mm-hmm. So I every like 10 years, I have, I would say, reinvented myself. Yep. And uh, what I'm doing now is I am advancing my own consulting uh, firm Mm-hmm. uh red tree consulting mm-hmm. uh, Red tree because I want this to grow uh, with uh, very uh, strong roots in sustainability mm-hmm. I, I am consulting in sustainability this is what I do
0: yeah oh this is this is great so with that um mindset of sustainability your new the you know however many times now you've reinvented your career, Could you perhaps share with us uh, something or maybe many things that you see uh, coming out of the pandemic uh, post-COVID or maybe how um, our energy sector is gonna transform in the next five to 10 years? Could you share any of that with us? Um, That is a a complex question that would require Mm. uh, a
1: a longer conversation. But if I were to summarize my own insights about it. I would say that the pandemic demonstrated that we can advance economic uh, growth and uh, social concern
0: mm-hmm. yeah.
1: by a new way of working mm-hmm. that is probably going to be a hybrid between on-site and, and uh, remote working.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: As a person that have volunteering, volunteered uh, extensively from Kuwait, I have, for years, Rachel, for 15 years, I have already faced the challenges of understanding the different time zones and working remotely uh, with different teams all over the world. And for me, the transition, I would say, was easy. Yeah. But what do I, what do I envision the the post COVID uh, era will be? Well, it's certainly going to be. Um, an acceleration
2: mm-hmm.
1: of the actions pertinent to energy transition. And uh, the big change that I think will have to come, forced by climate concerns,
2: mm-hmm.
1: will be in legislation okay. so that globally we mm-hmm. have the same frames mm-hmm. to reduce our emissions. Yep. So, it will also be and has to be a mindset change yes. about what we consider to be uh, quality of life. Because quality of life cannot be uh, disposed of plastic bags every time you go to the supermarket mm-hmm. and these kind of uh, things. Mm-hmm. Or, for example, quality of life cannot be by the latest trend in fashion. Because the most sustainable jacket you have is the, the one currently hanging in your closet. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not the new one built with old plastic bottles. No,
2: <laughs>
1: it, it's the one already in your closet. Absolutely. So, this is what I envision in five to 10 years a, a big, big and strong change in legislation mm-hmm. to constrain emissions and a necessary mindset change that will. If you think about that Rachel we we'll probably m- impact the most the advanced societies
2: mm-hmm.
1: because it's like going back to reuse uh, repurpose uh, re uh, utilize reconcept from the design what we do mm-hmm. which is the the basics of circular economy
0: absolutely my new favorite word is upcycle
1: <laughs> mm, Yes. Yeah.
0: Concept, that one I just kind of discovered the last few weeks. and it's it's not necessarily related to um, energy per se, like what we do geology, but just the idea of taking something old and making it better. and you know, so with regard to fashion, or you know what the other things that you had said, um that was just another term that I thought was was very relevant yeah. to going forward. Yeah. Yeah,
1: you know, one of the most striking experiences I had about sustainability was when I was studying the master in Colorado School of Mines. And I'm talking to you about
2: 1995.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I went to a field trip with uh, one professor, a Warner, that was a legend in geology. Yeah. And we were at a, the at a creek and having lunch. Each one of us brought lunch. And his came in a his lunchbox was a checkered uh, clothes made lunchbox, very classical, red and black. <clears throat> and I thought I have seen that in Altagracia de Orituco mm-hmm. when I was a child, in the sense that you know, very very old thing. And I asked him hey, professor, that lunchbox. And he told me, you know, Maria Angela, this lunchbox has been with me since I was a student. It has 50 years or 40 (laughs) years, something like that. Mm -hmm. It's from the 50s, he told me. I said, wow. I thought thought so because it looks like my grandparents, uh, what they used to have. Mm -hmm. He told me, probably, Mm -hmm. because these were very popular in the 50s and 60s. And I don't know how you remember this. I said, well, because things at home were, you know, always there, especially in my grandparents' house. They would not throw things away Mm -hmm. because they are survivors of the Second World War. Yeah. And and he told me, yes, that's why. And you know what? I have been doing field camp so long in my life and have seen so much trash in the creeks and in the wild areas that I will not buy something new. Yeah. At the time, the, con- the very concept and word of sustainability was not in fashion. Mm-hmm. But from this anecdote, I learned that you know a, a deep comprehension what it takes to preserve the environment
2: mm-hmm.
1: in him, in this professor came from observing what was going on and by yeah. not this disposing of things just for the latest trends. Yeah. That was very instructional for me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, it's very touching. And I hope that other people, if this your message and our message reaches other people to give yes. a little bit more thought to disposing and buying new things. So over the years, um, You've had a variety of different jobs. Do you, can you share with me what your dream job was or are you currently living your dream job? Or would you say you're still building towards your dream job? Does that, does it apply to you or does that resonate with you uh, in any way?
1: Um, Rachel, I would say no.
0: Mm-hmm. It's fine. I'm. You are not the first. Okay. Okay. I- I think that um,
1: I, when perhaps because of the several steps in my career, I have realized that the enjoyment comes uh, from the road, Mm -hmm. from what you do in the way uh, towards something that is a moving target, right? Mm And as my as my target has moved and reshaped and, and be re elaborated uh, every now and then for different reasons, mm-hmm. I have realized uh, that I do not attach the concept of success to a role, yeah, not even to a company, mm-hmm. not even to a country. Mm-hmm. So imagine if I had attached my concept of success to reach. Ex Pedevesa role. Yeah. Be or crushed. my concept of success to be someone, quote unquote, mm-hmm. in Venezuela when I was practically expelled from my native country. Yeah. I, I received the highest honor of my life, which is a knighthood mm-hmm. from the president of Italy, mm-hmm. which is Italy is my, I would say, now I understand, is my main nationality. Yes. Because it is my culture, it is my parents, it is my family, it is the way I eat, the way I speak,
2: mm-hmm. my
1: traditions, the way I celebrate my Christmas, the way I cook, the way I, my faith, you know, my mm-hmm. my roots are Italian. Mm-hmm. And for me, having received this knighthood was beyond amazement, fantastic.
0: Yeah. So
1: if I were if I had to attach my success in Kuwait to a role, I would have been frustrated because mm-hmm. the leadership roles are with a lot of reasons and, and of course justifications that are very, very valid, only given to national from national people from Kuwait, mm-hmm. not to expats like me. Right? Yeah. So uh, I think that the enjoyment of a career resides in the path, mm-hmm. because the the targets are moving targets, and you never know what your next target will be or how far it will get you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I hope that it's not deluding for you, but this is my my take on the on the question.
0: Yeah. No. Thank you. I super appreciate it. Um, that is. I think you probably have given my favorite answer so far out of everyone that I've interviewed probably should be time for me to modify my question
1: (laughs) (laughs) you know there is a a story of Ulysses and a beautiful poem I will share with you you may want to share it in in uh, Energy Geo's uh, website Mm -hmm. and it is uh, about Ithaca Mm -hmm. and I I encourage you uh, to read the story of Ulysses yeah. because in the in the odyssey when when he leaves uh you know penelope and his song and and all and he you know starts this journey and and you know he needs to be tied at the ship to face the the sirens uh, singing and and then all the fights and and the encounters he he finds in the in the way to finally reach isaka mm-hmm. and the poem is about that the beauty of the whole story and adventures of Ulysses mm-hmm. is not Ithaca, mm-hmm. it's the journey. Mm-hmm. So this is what uh, we need to enjoy, the journey. Absolutely. Because, uh, yeah, it, it gets you places. Yeah. And uh, it is up to you.
0: Absolutely. So to finish up today, could you please share with us uh, something that you do to maintain your happiness and your success? Do you have any tricks? I mean, every time I've interacted with you, it's been such a wonderful experience. Um, How do you do it all? Um, I
1: don't do it on purpose.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's my answer.
1: (laughs) I I think that I am determined to be happy and mm-hmm. to and to bring happiness uh to what I do. Yeah. Uh, and and it comes naturally. Yeah. I, I don't do I don't I don't plan it. Mm-hmm. It's not that I sit and I have a blueprint, I'm going to do this today or tomorrow or the next year. No. Mm-hmm. It I just uh uh engage in things with my heart. Maybe too much. If oh, I, a yeah. A final reflection I want to share with you is that I have come to understand that my energy mm-hmm. comes uh, with, yes, a lot of peaks and also a lot of downs. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I have learned that you cannot be uh, this energetic uh, without also going to the very low and deep valleys mm-hmm. of, of, of this these. Uh, level of
0: energy Absolutely Would you also say that it's also tied uh, to your Italian culture that this is something that's very much because that's that's one thing I've always admired so much about you is I always felt that that was part of your your culture and where you're from your family's from Mm -hmm.
1: Oh yes, I think that uh, Italians uh, we can be very operatic, if you may. So <laughs> everything is absolute enjoyment or absolute tragedy. Of course, we <laughs> <laughs> in opera all the protagonic roles die. So, uh, oh, but also they succeed and they are heroes and warriors. Mm-hmm. And uh, yes, it is it is cultural. Awesome.
0: Well, thank you so much, Maria. It's been a wonderful to spend some time with you, and um, I would definitely love to follow up with you in the future, see what you're thank doing.
1: You. Thank you. Thank you, Rachel. And uh, all the best with Energy Geos. I think this is the way to go. And uh, this kind of uh, not professional associations, rigid, but something fluent and where we can meet and mm-hmm. share is what we need. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye.
1: Bye.